Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. It is affectionately known as Victory Lane. Today is episode 85. As you see from the episode title, we have Gracie Trotter on the show. She is the star today. But before we do that, we're going to throw it over to Pops. Because we're paying homage to a driver and owner with a pretty interesting name. Thank you, Duve, and happy Hanukkah to some of you out there. Today we dig deep into the alphabet and set the Wayback Machine to number 85. Only 141 starts for the 85, and none since Pocono in 2002. The man with the most starts in the 85 and both wins was Emmanuel Zervakis. The Golden Greek, as he was known, finished in the top 10 cup standings twice and also competed in NASCAR's short-lived convertible series. His two wins came in April and June of 1961 at the Greenville and Norwood Arena Speedways. Cervacus's career as a driver was cut short after he broke his kneecap in a fiery crash at Southside Speedway in 1964. Instead, he became a builder, an engineer and owner of race cars. Cervacus fielded Dale Jarrett's first cup car, that was in Martinsville in 1984, and won five Bush Series races as a car owner, including one for Ricky Rudd in his first start in that series at Dover in 1983. Other notable names who drove for Cervacus included Mark Martin, Sam Ard, Morgan Shepard, Jeff Bodine, and Butch Lindley. There's a funny story involving Cervacus that's also a window into the times when he raced. He finished first in a 200-lap race in 1960 at Wilson Speedway in North Carolina, but was stripped of the victory after Joe Weatherly filed a protest regarding Cervacus's fuel tank. Even though mileage hadn't been a factor in the race, Cervacus's tank capacity was found to be slightly over the legal limit, and Weatherly was awarded the victory. Weatherly's fuel tank was not inspected. When asked in later days how he knew Zervakis's tank was illegal, Weatherly grinned and said, because I was running the same tank he was. They were different times. That's all for this week. Be sure to tune in next week for a surprise. Ain't that right, Doof? That is right. Next week, we have a surprise in the works. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be the big surprise that you all maybe think it's going to be, but um, let's just say my dad and I are going to try to have a little bit of fun. And uh, you know it comes after lightning, right? Thunder! Kachiga! That's all I'll say. All right, let's get it started with a good old-fashioned... But before we get straight into our interview... We actually have an exciting announcement here on Victory Lane. For the first time ever in two years, 85 episodes, we have a promotion 
Yes, we have a promotion to announce. Do you want a three-month free Motor Trend subscription? Well, you're in luck because I got three of them to give away to you, the wonderful listeners of Victory Lane. So you guys can watch NASCAR Under Pressure. I am watching it right now. I'm in the middle of it. I think I have a couple episodes to go, and it is pretty damn good if I do say so myself. And if you don't have a Motor Trend app subscription, that's okay. You can get a free three-month trial by doing the following. All you got to do is leave a rating and a review for this podcast on your podcast listening platform of choice. I'm not sure if only iTunes does reviews or if Spotify and Google Podcasts do it too, but regardless, if it's only iTunes, do it there. If you can do it on Spotify and Google, do it there as well. Leave a rating and a review for this podcast on your player of choice and use the word reggaeton in your review to be entered for the three-month free subscription to Motor Trend. Let me say that again. All you got to do to be entered to win this free three-month trial to the Motor Trend app is to leave a rating and a review to the podcast, and in it needs to be the word reggaeton. I'll spell it for you. That's R-E-G-G-A-E-T-O-N, reggaeton. If you're an OG listener of Victory Lane, you know it, you love it. So put reggaeton in your rating or your review, and you'll be entered to win. And for some reason, if it won't let you post a review because you already have, then drop me a line, text me, beat me, you know where to reach me, and say that you tried to do it, but you couldn't, and instead, you're now tweeting me with the word reggaeton or texting me with the word reggaeton. Twitter is preferable because we need that promotion out there, people, but that's all you have to do, and I'll pick three winners as the reviews come in. Don't sleep on it because odds are if you do it sooner, you'll probably win, so if you're listening to this right after it's posted, what are you waiting for? Go leave a rating and a review right now, but Motor Trend's been great. NASCAR Under Pressure is great. And if you haven't seen it, you should. And you're going to be able to do that for free if you follow those instructions. So we're giving away free stuff here, people. Get on it. Interview time. Let's chat with Gracie Trotter, the first female winner ever in Arkham Menard Series history. She drove the number 99 Enios Toyota for Bill McAnally Racing this past year. Talked about a lot with Gracie, how she got into racing in the first place. Some really funny stories of her dad working on a go-kart in her grandma's living room and her carrying some lead in her pockets. Love that. When a night as a trophy girl at Hickory really sparked her interest to drive instead of being on the sidelines. Obviously, fast-forwarding a good bit. In the Drive for Diversity class, running for both Rev Racing and BMR on the West Coast, winning in what was a crazy month of September for her, Hickory, Vegas Bullring, and a third win that nobody really knows about. Being a female in motorsports, the challenges, trials, and tribulations, and also benefits that come with that. A Toyota racing development driver as well. A lot of benefits come with that. Some short people problems. A story you will not want to miss about a test at Irwindale. And why she's crazy about Whataburger. Yes, she's not an In-N-Out fan. It's all Whataburger all the time. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Arkham Menard Series winner, Gracie Trotter. Pleasure to have on a winner this past season in the Arkham Menard Series West. You may know her for that, but we're going to learn a lot more about her. She's Gracie Trotter, first female winner in Arkham Menard Series history, by the way. Drove the number 99 
Enios Napa Toyota this season for Bill McAnally Racing. First off, is it Enios or is it Enios? Because I had this whole conversation with Brittany Zamora last year, and we still didn't really get an answer. It's Enios. Enios. Is it? Yes. (laughs) I thought it was Enios the whole time. Oh, my God. All right. Did you have, like, a stern talking to preseason, like, make sure you get this right because everybody gets it wrong? Well, not to brag or anything, but before I like before I even like heard Bill McNally say it or, or someone say it, I said Enio. So I, I did end up saying oh. it the right way. So that's how Bill says it. So I'm pretty sure that's how it's supposed to be said. But in Japanese, yeah. I have no idea how you'd say that. So it is a it's a Japanese based oil company. So who knows? But yeah, <laughs> I know well, if the boss says it that way, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> And right before we started recording, you had a phone alert go off because you have a chiropractor appointment. Are you like a grandma secretly? What's going on here? Yeah, I'm getting old, I guess. <laughs> I, I have a back problem, so, but yeah. that, that race car does tear you up some. So maybe starting a little bit too early, but I'm just like. I actually remember now that you said that, I, I remember talking to you, I think probably a couple years ago that you, you had experienced some back issues. Are, have they been like long lingering? Has it been a recent thing? Yeah, it's been going on a while. I actually got in a really bad go-kart wreck when I was probably 10 or 11 years old. Um, and ever since then, I got hit. I got T-boned. I was sitting still on track. I'd spun out. Another kid hit me going full speed. So oh, we didn't really my. know what we were doing back then much. But um, ever since then, <laughs> my back kind of has just been all jumbled up and I've had yeah. a little bit of problems ever since then. Yikes. Wow. Well, yeah. sorry to hear that. At least yeah. you're here now. I yep. guess that's some consolation. <laughs> thank goodness for chiropractors. So Yes, thank goodness for them. I feel like I, I need to make a chiropractor appointment because I see all these videos of on TikTok of like people cracking their backs and like doing these things. And it's like amazing what oh, they can do. And it's like you never knew that you were able to do that in your body. So I don't know. I feel like I should make one just for the heck of it. Yeah. I watched the chiropractor videos on TikTok. I think they're very satisfying to me. Very satisfying. I'm I'm a fan of all satisfying videos. Those are a different breed though. Cause it's like your actual body. It's nuts. It's crazy. Some nights I'll stay up too late and I'll be like, Oh my gosh, it's already one o'clock. I've been scrolling through all these satisfying (laughs) videos. I know. (laughs) <laughs> I'm actually proud of myself last night because, you know, sometimes when you're on TikTok and you hit the guys from TikTok that are like, hey, it's way too late. You've been scrolling yeah. for way too long. I actually put it down after that last night. Really? That was the first time I'd ever done that. Recently, I, as soon as I get on TikTok and I'm like, oh, well, just I'm going to scroll past that one and act like I didn't see it. <laughs> It's like, nah, they don't understand. I literally just got on. It's fine. And then three hours later, you're like, all right, I should probably go to bed now. Yes. yes. (laughs) All right. Well, that's enough talk about chiropractors and TikTok and your back. Let's get to the real nitty gritty stuff. Um, I know that you're a third generation driver. So tell me a little bit about your dad and your grandfather, because I knew that they raced. But how did they really get into racing in the first place? I guess since you're third generation, your grandfather specifically, how did he start? Yeah, he started, he's from Texas, so um, he lived around some some racetracks, just grew up kind of around people that were in the racing world, so he was going to the racetrack all the time Um, in Texas. There was a racetrack, a few racetracks, dirt tracks, not too far from him, so he kind of grew up doing it, and my dad uh, was interested in doing it, just like I grew up going to the track with my dad, he did the same thing, 
Um, yep. So he, he seen that and he decided to start racing. He built his own go-kart in his mom's living room when he was 15 years old. So he, he got a start. Yeah. He got a late start doing that. So it was um, he, him going racing in his go-kart all the time. My, my grandma would go with him and uh, after he would tell me some stories after each race uh, he'd always make the go-kart a little too light, so my grandma would keep lead in her pockets, and he'd hand her his helmet after the race, and she'd throw a piece of lead in there, and <laughs> he'd hop right back in his Wow. Head. Yeah, so so they, they grew up racing all the time, and my grandma loved it, even until the day she passed away. She was going to the racetracks and up in the stands every weekend at Houston Motorsports Park down in Texas, so... Um, my dad grew up doing that, and then when he was about 20, 21 years old, he packed up his pickup truck with a couch in the back, some silverware, a lamp, and some stuff. Didn't have much and came to North Carolina, and that's all he had. So um, he borrowed some money from his grandma uh, to go racing, move to North Carolina, because that's that's where you got to be to go. And yep. he started working at um, Hare Elliott's coating shop um, here in Denver, North Carolina. And mm. so that's where he got an interest in coding technologies. Um, he tried to go racing, but it just, he couldn't afford to do it. Couldn't find the sponsorships to get to the next level. He raced late models a lot out at Hickory, Concord. Um, then he started his own race team after he started uh, Calico Coatings. Uh, did that for a while, did the All-American Driver Challenge, and he, he ran a race team. So that's where I grew up. I never got to see my dad race. He raced he stopped racing right when I was born um, and, yeah. and kind of when Calico started. So he didn't really have time to go racing anymore, but um, I grew up on the track with him uh, watching his race team go around in circles and kind of fell in love with it there. So I really liked it. I have a little brother. He's two years younger than I am. And he just, he'd come sometimes, but he just wasn't that interested as I was. <laughs> so um it's usually the boy who who likes the racing part but i end up liking it so um and one night kind of how it really started one night at concord speedway i was asked to be the trophy girl it's like sure you know like i was excited uh my mom actually dressed me up in like some pink glitter shirt that night (laughs) so i actually have a picture with harrison burton he won that night in a bandolero so (laughs) so that's kind of how it started. I was like, dad, I don't want to do this. I'm going to go racing. Put me in a bandolero. So then a couple years later, when I was about seven, uh, he got me a go-kart and that's how it started from there. So many different stories to unpack there. That is, that is amazing. Thank you for sharing all those. Yeah. First of all, I want to start with the lead with your dad. Cause that's funny. <laughs> um, I was just listening to a podcast where, um, back in the day, I think it was, I think it was in the cup series, you know, the crew chief would have like a clipboard but somehow he made lead sheets that he like had on his clipboard. So when they were going through inspection, he would put his clipboard like in the car or on the deck lid and that those lead sheets would make him get through inspection with enough weight. And then when he would take it off to like put it back, he'd be like, Oh my God. And then I think nobody wound up seeing that his clipboard weighed like 40 pounds, Oh, wow. but that's just really funny. I can't believe that your dad, so your dad was what? Like, a teenager probably doing this shady stuff with the lead and his grandma was in on it too. I love it. Yep. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. What, a, what a mind for an 18 year old to have that much of a race car savviness. Oh, I know. 
That's nuts. And also the Trophy Girl story. I, I read that on your website, and I was very intrigued by that because and we'll talk about, you know, being a female in motorsports and all that good stuff in a little bit. But there, I think the stigma is thankfully going away in recent years, but there's always a stigma when it comes to females in motorsports of being a trophy girl or a grid girl or the driver's wife, something like that. So can you dive a little bit deeper into that story? Because what I read on your website was somebody basically asked you to be the trophy girl and you were like, yeah, cool, that's fine. And then Harrison won the race. And I don't know if you knew Harrison at that point at all, but after the race, you told your dad, you're like, hey, you're like, that was fun, but can I like try to race? <laughs> and you did. And the rest is history. So can you dive a little bit deeper into that story? Yeah. So um, that was at Concord Speedway. And mm -hmm. I've, I, my dad actually knew Harrison's dad really well. So I kind of knew who he was and I knew um, Dawson Cram ended up winning that night too. So we knew them really well. Okay. And I ended up racing for them a few years later um, in the Bandolero cars. Full so circle. that was pretty cool. I have a picture with him and, um, we knew some people were on the track and, but my dad started in go-karts. That's the first thing he raced. So, um, we were looking at different options to try and my dad's like, let's do go-karts. You know, that's what I know. Like we can do it together. So when we bought our first go-kart, it was literally just me and him. Like he taught me, um, a lot of the things about the go-kart. So it was just me and him as a crew. And, uh, so when we first started racing the first couple of years, you know, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm seven, eight years old and just have no idea. <laughs> you know, I'm just out there making laps. And my dad, he's, yeah. he's really competitive and he was really good, uh, go-kart driver and he won a lot of races and go-karts. And so he was really hard on me, really hard. So, so it made me want to kind of quit racing. I'm like, like I'm getting yelled at all the time. Like he expects me to win every race and I have no idea what I'm doing. So, um, when you're eight, nine years yeah. old, I mean, and you're getting yelled at all the time for something that you haven't yeah. done for a while, it's kind of like, okay, I don't need this. Yeah. Yeah. So then after that, he's like, okay, I understand like she's going to win. He's winning. He's like, okay, I understand now. So then he's like, okay, we got to make this fun. And so it kind of changed our, our mindset a little bit on everything that you just have to have fun with it. If you're not having fun with it, then you know, it's not going to be your passion. It's not, it's not going to, obviously not going to be fun. And, Amen. you know, you know, you'll do better and you have more of a passion for it and you go win when you have, just have fun with it every race. If you have a yeah. bad car, a good car that day, just make sure in the race you got what you got. So enjoy it while you're out there, have fun with it. So that's a lot of advice that I usually give to younger females, younger racers that are wanting to get into the sport because you're going to have way more bad days than you are good days. So you have to take that with a grain of salt, learn from the race, have fun and, and move on to the next one. That's good advice. I think anybody in any profession can take that to heart because it's, it's yeah. true in any respect. And I think there was also one more story in go-karting with your dad. It may have been your mom. I'm not, I'm not sure what I read, but did he spin you out at one point? Yes. So okay. it was actually... We rented, we went down to Carolina Motorsports Park in Kershaw, South Carolina. Yep, yep. And we rented a couple go-karts before he bought me one, just to see if I'd like it or get scared or right. if it was something Feel I really wanted to do. So he got in a go-kart also. So we're making laps. He's pushing me around the track. He was really aggressive with me just to, you know, make sure I can handle it. So He's not competitive at all. Yeah, at the end of the long <laughs> straightaway, he doesn't lift. He spins me right out. 
I spin out into the dirt and I'm sitting there, my motor shut off and he runs over. I'm like covered in dirt and stuff. And he's like, are you okay? Like he thought I was hurt. I was like, yeah, yeah, that was fun. Let's do it again. <laughs> so, so from then on, like he was like, okay, I guess, I guess racing would be good for her. So, um, not too long after that, a couple weeks later, um, he showed up to the house with a go-kart in the bed of his truck. So that was, that was the day I I'll never forget. How old were you at that point? Seven. <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> you as a seven year old just getting <laughs> spun out. And as a dad, of course you'd be like freaking out cause your competitive edge takes over. And yeah. then you're like, yeah, it was awesome. Let's do it. So, Hey, yeah. it worked, right? That sounds so fun. Oh yeah. It, it was a lot of fun. So we've heard all these stories about your dad, right? I mean, he's clearly been the most influential person in your career by far. He moved from Texas to North Carolina when he was 21, like you said. All he had was the essentials, a lamp, a couch, some other stuff, whatever. So what have you learned from him on track throughout this entire process and a little bit off track as well? Because as you said, you know, you're going to have way more bad days than good days. And him, sponsorship didn't materialize, so he wasn't able to live out that specific dream of, of being a professional race car driver. You, on the other hand, are living that dream right now. So what have you been able to learn from him specifically throughout this entire process? The biggest thing is staying humble because he tells me that when him, or my first test with Bill McAnally, which was in 2017, I think, I mm -hmm. actually didn't end up sitting in the car because I was too I know short. there's a good story there. <laughs> so, I, I was in California, so I ended up, Bill gave me a couple radios to, to listen to all the other drivers' mm -hmm. tests. So um, they, they tried my, they tried the best to get me fitted in a car. There was a couple other guys there testing late model. I can't even fit in there. So <laughs> they tried everything to get me in something, but just couldn't work it out. For everyone who doesn't know, I'm 4'11". So my legs, my legs are maybe only like, two and a half feet long maybe <laughs> so <laughs> it, you get the idea but um so ever since that day we tested there we kind of realized like oh my gosh like this is you know happening like all these opportunities are arising and um he said you're you're living my dream so um he's been having a blast with it so the main thing like i said is keeping a smile on your face you know, staying happy, having fun, and, and staying humble at the most part. Again, really good advice. I love that. Do you think in a way that he's like vicariously, vicariously living through you right now? Because as we said, you know, like this, what you're doing is what he wanted to do, but never got the opportunity to do. And obviously, you know, we don't know, but we've heard that all these people always say, whenever one of your children is able to do something that you're really passionate about, it means like 10 times more. So I feel like in a way, what I've seen from the outside, especially celebrating at Hickory in Vegas, which we'll get to, it seems like he is living the dream more than he honestly would himself. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, it's really special, you know, getting able to have him at the track every week. And like, we usually take a moment at each track we go to, especially like tracks like Iowa, we went to earlier this year, Gateway and Phoenix, like, we're like, wow, like, we never expected to be sitting here driving a race car, to say the least. So and be like, you know, we made it here. So it, it's awesome. Like last year, me and him were sitting up in the stands at Phoenix. We went there to see the ARCA race and the truck race with um, Bill had us there, let us into the race. And we were sitting mm -hmm. up in the stands and we went to Phoenix back in March. And we're like, I was like, dad, 
back in November, did you think we were going to be here racing? It's like, I know. So it's, it's really special. That's really cool. Before we go any further, um, I, I think we're going to get back to Bill McAnally racing, obviously, but you hinted at it earlier, the test at Irwindale. There is a great story there and it may be a little sensitive. So if it is just shoot me straight, you, you went there with the presumption that you were going to be able to test the car. And when you got in the car, you literally couldn't reach the pedals because you're 4'11". And yeah. you ended up not being able to drive that day. You watched with some radios just outside and during in pit road. That whole day and whole story, like I'm sure then it was really infuriating and maybe a little bit embarrassing. But now where you are, where you are, I hope that you can look back on that and laugh just a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. I even was laughing a little bit while I was there because the car that I was supposed to drive was Chris Eggleston's car. And he's not he's too short much too. Taller than me. Yeah. He, yeah. He's <laughs> too much taller than I was. So I was like, oh my gosh. Well, that day <laughs> I learned a lesson that every time I test someone else's race car, I got to go to the shop at least a week early to have a couple of days to make sure yeah. we can change everything. So <laughs> in my in my late model stock, we actually had to get rid of our hanging pedals and put floor pedals on to make it closer. It was that bad. So, wow. so I kind of, I learned a, le- a lesson that day that I need to show up to shop. So a week early in order to be able to, to fit in the car, but I still had a fun day just getting to meet the team. So I kind of knew some of the guys already before I went there earlier this year at BMR. So I got to uh, create a good relationship with Bill and, and all that. So yeah, it was a little frustrating, but I, I had a good day that day. Sure. People problems, you know, what could we yeah. say? <laughs> all right 2018 we're fast forwarding here you get invited to the drive for diversity combine 2019 you're selected how did that feel must have been a pinnacle yeah that was awesome at the time we didn't really have much late model stuff going on like we didn't really know what we were doing for the next year we didn't know you know how much money we could budget to go get a lot of races in that you need like mm-hmm. um at least we wanted 30 races a year just to get me in the seat more and, you know, just to, you know, stay in. So right. we didn't really know much of what we were doing. We were kind of getting out of the super late model stuff and wanting to do more late model stock stuff. And we had my dad's late model stock. Um, but that thing was old, 30 years old. So we had a lot of work to do with it to make it run good. So we had a lot of failures in that few blown motors. The motor was old, had it rebuilt, so on and so forth. That happened yep. a couple of times and blew yep. up. So we, we struggled a lot with that. So having that opportunity to go run for rev racing and be a part of the NASCAR driver diversity program has really helped my career a lot. Just having those relationships with NASCAR and rev racing they've given me a really, really great opportunity to showcase my talent and and go to all their events with them and help me out on that aspect of things. So they've been a really good help and progress in uh, my career. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like racing those late models for Rev Racing, and I thankfully actually, A, was able to see you race, and B, was able to see it at Myrtle Beach before they closed the doors. I think that was late last year. But I feel like it's different vibes, just racing for rev racing in general, but also racing late models in the wheel on, or not wheel on, advanced auto parts. There you go. All American series. I feel like it's just way different vibes 
racing in that specific series than it is in ARCA. Maybe because ARCA has a bit more cachet to it and the late model racing is more of a local feel. Do you kind of sense that as well? Yeah, for sure. And also at the same time, it's hard for me to tell that difference with it. Like, cause all the races I've been to in the ARCA are obviously our West races. So it's a little, it's so new to me. It's a new aspect, new areas, new, new racetracks. Um, but yeah, I get like when we race down in New Smyrna, it is, it is a little bit different of a vibe. i not sure how to explain it. It's just to me, kind of, it's all new people I'm around, all new drivers I'm around. So some of the drivers I did grow up racing legend cars with, but it is definitely a different vibe, but I just, I don't know where to point that out. Yeah, no, I, I definitely feel it too, because I mean, just how there's different vibes with an Xfinity race and a cup race or a truck race yeah. and an ARCA race. It's, it's, it's the same thing. And you can point to the people in the stands. You can point to the sounds of the cars specifically. You can point to the looks of them. You can point to the makeup of all the drivers from there's females there. There's young guys there. There's super old guys there. There's just a bunch of different things that go along with local short track racing that oh, yeah. makes it what it is. And you've done that growing up for a while. So did your dad. And I'm sure getting getting the chance to take part in that and we'll get to winning at Hickory, but winning at that level must mean a lot to you guys as a family as well. Oh yeah, for sure. And back on your point of like the different vibes, mm -hmm. I just remember something like the first time I go out to California and Vegas to see yeah. racing and racing out there, like I'm used to short tracks of Hickory, people wearing cowboy boots, they're smoking cigarettes up in the stands, you <laughs> yep, know, that yep. and they're all rowdy. And then I went, I go to California, everyone's wearing vans and skinny jeans and joggers. And then <laughs> <laughs> One lady I'll never forget at Vegas, she's walking around the pits with rainbow leg warmers up past mm. her knees and some kind of crazy sunglasses and some rainbow skirt on and some crazy <laughs> shirt. So I'm like, I guess this is West Coast racing. <laughs> so that's, that's another thing I'd point out. Talk about different vibes, rainbow leg warmers. That says it yeah. all. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> So let's talk about ARCA West. You obviously just finished up your first full season there with Bill McAnally Racing. It was your rookie campaign, hell of a rookie year, I might add. You won a race, and we'll get to that at the Vegas Bullring. But overall, looking back on it now that it's the offseason and we're a few weeks removed from the finale at Phoenix, how do you think the whole season went overall? Because rookie seasons are all about learning. They're all about growing as a race car driver, and I feel like you did that and accomplished that goal. But in terms of the goals that you set for yourself and what you learned this year, how do you think everything went? I definitely exceeded my goals for the year. I Good. didn't, you know, I didn't expect to go out there and get those really good finishes off the bat. I had a goal to win a race, but I wasn't really sure about it. But going into the year, it, there's a lot of up and downs this year, especially with the pandemic happening um getting less practice time that was the main thing that was kind of struggling after we went back racing is yeah i i have no idea about these cars the late model stocks i drive they're truck on cars just like the arc cars but they are a lot different with the horsepower and weight ratio of the cars yeah so losing that practice time because we only raced a few times before the pandemic happened um and we did get a lot of once only I know we race New Smyrna. Oh, that's right. Okay. And Vegas, then Arca West at the Bullring, yeah. In Phoenix, we did the Menards or the Showdown. Arca National, whatever. Yeah. So <laughs> we did that. And then yeah. 
uh, two weeks later, it shut down. I was actually at Myrtle Beach Speedway, and every racetrack shut down but Myrtle Beach <laughs> that night. <laughs> so I got the oh, race. Funny. But um, started out really good, getting a lot of practice time, you know, learning with the team. So getting to go to New Smyrna before we went to a points race was was really helpful. Work with the team and figuring out a, a plan we can go off of. So um, after the pandemic, spent a lot of time on iRacing through there, just trying to learn stuff. A lot of time on street stocks, you know, street stocks are my favorite. But uh, <laughs> coming back and getting, you know, 45 minutes to an hour of practice, it's really hard, um, especially, you know, learning these cars, like I said, you know, you know, learning with my, my crew, learning my crew chief and us learning how to communicate with each other. It, it was really hard. Um, but throughout the year, it, it got better. It did. And then um, just losing that practice time was really the hardest. Um, I was going to say, yeah. But yeah. After Vegas, Vegas actually was really good at the beginning of the year. Um, that was a night race. And the one that we just did was the day race. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so when I was there, I was like, man, I, I really like this track. I like it a lot. Like next time we come here, I'm, we're definitely going to win. Well, I didn't know we were going to come here at the end of the year again. So, so that was awesome. So we got there and we were ninth in practice, ninth in qualifying and doing really bad. And then in the race, which Roger, my crew chief, somehow always magically, like we won't be so good in practice, but when it comes time for the race, like the car is so, so magically different. Like it's either really good or, we're really close, so I know how Roger does it, but it does. <laughs> and so in the race, I mean, the car the car was awesome. The car was perfect, and I couldn't have asked for anything better. Um, so so that was an awesome race. But like I was saying, I definitely exceeded exceeded my expectations for the year with starting out, finishing second, third, fourth for several races there at the beginning of the year. It's like okay, yeah, we can go in some races this year. I, I was for sure about it after the the first couple races we had. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about Vegas then. The race itself, um, we'll, we'll get to you know the reaction and, and and the meaning behind it and everything like that. But take me through the race itself because from what I remember, you had a really quick car, as you said, you know throughout the whole season. And Vegas is no different. But you seem to capitalize around like the midway point of the race when the opportunity seemed to present itself, and then from there you just never wavered and didn't let up the lead. Yep. So we started ninth, like I said, and. I kind of just stayed patient. I knew I had 150 laps to get it done. Boring's a small track. I just want to stay out of trouble. So I kind of just rode back there for a little bit, just, you know, finding opening holes, making people race each other, move out of the way, and just staying calm and patient. Around lap 20, maybe, I was like, oh, my gosh, this car's good. Like, we can go with it. Yeah. So I'm like, I can still see the leaders up there. So I was like, we're so good. So I kind of just picked them off really slowly. Just, I didn't want to wreck the car. I, I knew that the car was good. So I wanted to keep the nose clean and just stay out of trouble. So slowly <clears throat> started picking them off. And then it was a restart on like lap 54, I think. And I, I think I got up to third, third or fourth maybe. And... Jesse drove, I think it was Blaine up really high. So there was an opening in my spot. I was like, go, go, go. It's like, all right. So I just, I didn't even think about it. I just stuck it in there. 
and we ended up being three wide. So I was like, they can just worry about what they got to do. It, it's a big track. <laughs> it's, it's a wide track. So yeah. I'll just stay in it and they can figure out on their end what they got to do. do. So it's like, whatever. So I just drove it into the next corner and, and never looked back from there. So the car was awesome. It was like, I didn't even have to drive it. So that was definitely a perfect car that uh, it's very rare to have. Was it weird celebrating with no fans? Because I feel like that may kill the vibe a little bit, but at the same time, I feel like nothing's going to kill the vibe of winning your first race in ARCA and becoming the first female ever to do that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, actually I didn't know I was the first female to do it until about a, like 10 minutes after the race or so. Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, getting out of the car. I mean, it was awesome. Just having my, my dad there and bond there was, um, up there and, so he's been crew chiefing me for a while. So having all of them there with me to celebrate was, was really awesome. So they bond came and threw me up in there, picked me up, threw me up in the air and, and my dad. So I felt it sounded like they were both crying a little bit over the radio. So, say, it was yeah. Cool. but yeah, getting out, getting out of the car with no fans, it was a little weird vibe, but uh, yeah. even at Hickory too, there wasn't too, too many they had to up in the in the grass area parked on the truck but i had a lot of my family and family friends there so all i seen was them sprinting over screaming with their hands up so that that was really cool to see so i had a little bit of that there but yeah getting out of the car in vegas you're still looking up at the fans and screaming yeah. so it didn't have that there so it's a little weird vibe but um it was still it was still really special for me I guess at the end of the day, all you really need is the people that mean the most to you, which is your family, your friends, your crew chief, as you mentioned, Bond Suss was there. So in some ways, you wish that you had the fans there to celebrate with you, especially in like a historic moment, but you didn't even really know at that point. But you had all the people there that really meant a lot to you. So I feel like in some ways it was it was a bit of a shame, but in some ways it made it that more special. Oh, for sure. Let's talk about um, Hickory, because as you mentioned, you I became I think was were the fourth woman to win there. But September of 2020, I feel like when, like, 20 years from now, if you're, like, in cup, win races, like, have your family, it's gonna, you're going to be like, let me tell you about the month of September in 2020. It was a shitty year, but, God, that was a great month because you won at Vegas and you won at Hickory in the span of, what, like, two and a half, three weeks, something like that? Yep, yep, yep. three that weeks. That was insane. Like, that must have been an incredible high. And funny story, yeah, in the – weekend between those two races mm-hmm. i went camping and i hit at this dog campground and what? one day it's and this only happens a year at this campground and they have a dog race like it's a scavenger hunt race but your dog has to like do it with you and me and my dog won that race so, so you won three times so I say that I won three weekends in a row. (laughs) (laughs) Your dog is really cute, by the way. Thanks. I did see pictures of it on Twitter when I was prepping for the interview. I was like, oh, my God, so cute. Is it a a he or a she? A he. He's a little crazy thing, though. What's his name? Ranger. Ah, it's a good name for a dog. I like that. (laughs) So you got to win with Ranger. You got to win at Vegas. You got to win at Hickory. Do you name your race cars, too, or is that too much? Well, I don't have a name for um, my new late model yet that I have. 
that I went hickory with, but my mm-hmm. old one, we named her Ancient Orange. She's old and orange. <laughs> Fair enough, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that works. But maybe what was I your dad? Twitter poll to name my, my new lay model. Might be a good idea. Yeah, yeah, probably so. What was your dad's reaction um, for the bullring and hickory specifically? Because you said that you could maybe hear a little tears all over the radio, but then when he saw you in Victory Land and you climbed out and you celebrated, I mean, I feel like that has to be the pinnacle for him, you know, as we've talked about. He's living vicariously through you and helping you in every single possible way. And to see you reach the mountaintop, and celebrate like that and he was there with you because he's been by your side the entire time that has to be an incredibly fulfilling moment for you both but specifically him oh yeah for sure the guy he doesn't have a lot of emotion even all his employees I gathered. For him. yeah all the employees that work for him he they're kind of like does he like me like he, he just doesn't have a lot of emotion but <laughs> um at the racetrack after after those wins you could tell he had a little bit more of emotion to him. So, but I should. remember him saying, um, he hugged me really tight and he said, you did it. And he's like, we did it. So, so just hearing that was really special because we've been, we've been wanting this for a long time. We've been working so hard at it and out of our little race shop. So, um, it, it's been really, really special. Like I, I keep saying it's been special, but it, ha- it really has, it, it really, yeah. it's, it's meant a lot to us. So, um, we've been doing this for a while and from where we, you know, came from and started, um, it's really amazing. I feel like that's a long way from, uh, working on your go-kart in uh, in grandma's yeah. living room, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is for sure. You mentioned the season as a whole for you in Arca West, right? I mean, in, in the first couple races, you got some top fives, top tens easily in there. And you started saying to yourself, you know, all right, maybe, maybe we could get a win. Let me readjust my expectations a little bit. And I actually talked with your teammate, Jesse Love, a couple of days ago. And, you know, he won the championship, obviously, and had a great season, led in every statistical category. But you did something that he actually didn't do. You finished top 10 in every single ARCA West race this year, and he can't say that. So you are the model of consistency for the entire season. That's got to be a point of pride for you as well. Oh yeah, I did see that someone posted on Twitter. I was like, "Oh, that's that's pretty cool to you know have done that." Yeah. Um. So consistency is a huge thing in racing, and you know another thing like I always have the mindset of staying consistent um, when I'm out there on track. That was a big thing that I kept telling myself leading the Vegas races: stay consistent, stay relaxed, stay consistent. Yes, exactly, um, because. You know, I used to leading legend car races. I just get so out of my mind thinking of the car behind me or, you know, so it's a huge mindset game too. So um, that's one thing I've learned too over the years and just keep that mindset of like stay consistent, hit your marks and relax, yeah. relax, relax, relax. Because once you get out there leading, you're like, oh, you're, you get all jittery and stuff. So, oh, yeah. so that that's that's one thing. So when you, let's go back to Vegas one more time. So when you're leading, like you're consciously thinking, don't get jittery, like relax. Did it work? Yeah. Oh, it worked. It, it worked really Good. well. So I, I'm like really big on mindset stuff and stuff about your subconscious and conscious mind. So talking to myself when I'm out on the track, like really helps me a lot. Do you actually talk to yourself? 
Yes, I do in my head. Like like verbally <laughs> speak to yourself? Yes, I do. <laughs> Just to stay relaxed or sometimes I'll catch myself over driving. I'm like, okay, let's back it down next corner. Like, you got to stop overdriving at Gracie. You got to stop. <laughs> You're going to lose your tires. You got to stop overdriving it or or, you know, just different things that I catch myself doing that I need to work back and collect myself again. Well, so hey, if I'll it works. It does. <laughs> well, that's good. Do you get that from your dad? Does he do that too? I've kind of just, he's taught me some about it and some other people I've grown up with um, mm -hmm. that's worked with my dad. Um, but I've read a lot of books about stuff like that too. So yeah. I've kind of just learned it over over time. Do you see like a sports psychologist or is this just something that you've picked up on your own? Yeah, I do. I just started seeing a sports psychologist at the beginning of the year. So I see cool. him about once a month and um, he's really helpful with things like that too. Did he like, did he plant that seed in your mind to maybe try talking to yourself or was that something that you just did organically on That's your own? That's something I've kind of always, I've always done that just okay. because I, my dad's always at the track, Gracie, you're overdriving it, you're overdriving it. That's like a tendency I have. So I've kind of like built that up to where mm -hmm. I like tell myself that. But my sports psychologist, he's definitely gave me a lot of more ideas um, and, and techniques to, to try. Yeah. Makes so sense. The relaxing. Yeah. The relaxing yeah. he told me about that's helped me. <laughs> Do you ever find yourself like, it, it may seem kind of cliche, but when you're in the car, do you ever like Zen out? Maybe not when you're leading. Cause obviously that's a pressure pack situation, but I don't know if it's like a, a longer race and you're just clicking off laps or if you're just in the groove and you got nobody in front of you for a while, you got clear out behind you. Do you ever like get in a, a bit of a mood where you're like just Zen out and you're just like in your happy place doing your thing? Or are you always just like, heartbeat at like 180 going 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 trying not to overdrive it thinking a million miles an hour because i feel like you're one or the other you know yeah it's it's definitely one or the other it just kind of depends on what situation you're on like say you're having you know a bad day and you're kind of just riding around you're kind of sometimes i'll catch myself like zoning out a little bit and then i'm like oh God. Like I got to get back in it, you know? So, yeah. but it just kind of depends like what situation you're in. Cause like if you're racing someone, your heartbeat goes up a lot. So right. um, racing side by side, you're trying to, you're trying to get that, that spot back. So, so that's, it just kind of depends on what situation you're in. Yeah. That makes sense. So we've talked about rev racing, great organization, right? Talked about BMR, great organization, Bill McAnally, Max Siegel, great people. None of that would be possible without Toyota. And we know that Toyota's racing development and your development driver for them clearly says it in your Instagram bio, so it's officially official. <laughs> um, you know, none of this would be possible without them. And I know that's cliche to say, but seeing what they've done for drivers over the years and female drivers as well, which we'll get to, being a part of their specific team, that's got to be really invaluable for a driver like you who's still young, still learning, still cutting their teeth. And now seeing you win races every year in multiple divisions, that stuff and that investment for them is paying off. So how did this relationship with Toyota start? I think it was what, back in 2016, 2017, early 2017? Yeah, yeah into 2016 it was. Um, I was racing Legend Cars and a couple guys were 
helping us. James Bickford was actually helping us at the time. He wow. used to run- haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> so he was he was like my tire guy at the time. So uh, he knew some guys and knew some guys and knew some guys. Mm-hmm. And a couple weeks later, I get a phone call saying, "Hey, like we've been watching you. You've been doing good. We want you to test a late model in California." I was actually in driver's ed class at the time when I got that phone call. Ironic. So, yeah. So it was, a, so Toyota wanted me to come out to California and test the late model at Madeira. So I did that and performed really good. And they're like, okay, uh, we want you to race next year. Like we'll help you out. So they put me in about five super late model races the next year in 2017. Um, and I just continued racing my legend car stuff. And we did, um, that was, I think that was my last year. We did some more go-kart stuff. That was my last mm-hmm. year doing doing that. So, stayed busy racing a lot of 11 car stuff and then did those uh, five super late model races with Bonsus. Mm-hmm. And then in 2018, we're like, they wanted me to do a full season. So, we did a full season um, with super late model stuff and, again, continued on with the legend cars. So, Toyota has always been here through all that they've always helped me out with all that stuff so yeah um in 2019 is when i got the deal with red racing and toyota's like okay like maybe we should start doing some like mall stock stuff it's more like an arca car it's the truck arm so it might give you some better experience with that so that's when we got out my old uh late model stock and so Toyota's always helped me with that over at TPC, the Toyota Performance Center Gym. So Toyota provides everything you need to be successful race car driver. So Toyota's um, been a great family over the years. I've gained a lot of great relationships with yeah. everybody over there, with our trainers, with everybody. So it's like one big whole family. And um, my dad told me, maybe a few months before Toyota actually called me in 2016 and said, all right, Gracie, I can take you racing to the front gates of Hickory, but if this is what you want to do, if you want to go racing for, you're going to have to figure it out yourself. You're going to have to go work and find those sponsorships to go do it. Cause I'll take you racing local shows at Hickory with my late model, but that's all I can do. And then a, that, a couple months later is when Toyota called me and that's, kind of how it started so been with them ever since and um couldn't have asked for for better years so it's been awesome was there any time in between when your dad basically gave you that ultimatum for lack of a better term and when toyota called where you were kind of saying i don't know what i'm gonna do here like maybe i shouldn't go this route or maybe i should just stay with what i know and what we can do or were you always set on aiming higher I was always set on aiming higher for sure. Um, just cause I love racing. I, I you know, I, I love going racing and I love even just driving different race cars. So I was ready to just try it, try a new race car, try something else. So, yeah. um, I always loved it and, and I, I want to go racing. So, um, I just, I just took it and ran with it and, um, ended up having a good relationship from there. So, my dad just said, okay, Gracie, you just have to perform good. You have to do all these, all these things off track. And, you know, in order for Toyota to keep you around, like you have to perform good doing all these other things too, in order to make that happen. So he's been a great role model um, throughout those years of, you know, helping me out because 
Yeah. Ever since I started with them, it's been a whole new world for me working with, you know, all these people at a manufacturer and Toyota racing development and, um, you know, working with new race teams and my dad's on the business side and stuff. So he, he knows a lot how it works. So he's been there, done that. And so he, he's been a really great role model or sometimes I call him my manager. <laughs> so, so he's been, he's been really great help through, through all that. Dad, manager, crew chief, mechanic, car owner, whatever. <laughs> yep. All the above. So you were teammates this year with Holly Holland, Toyota and BMR. They're no strangers to having female drivers in their pipeline and their teams. I think of Brittany Zamora, Haley Deegan, obviously you and Holly this past year. Um, you know, there's been a, a, a plethora of female drivers that have come through Toyota and, you know, their development program is obviously bigger and has been better than Ford and Chevrolet's. So from a sheer numbers perspective and from a talent perspective, you've seen more female race car drivers within that organization than you have with their NASCAR competitors and their counterparts. So having that support from them in that respect of having a female, having a female pipeline, so to speak, you know, where, whereas if you go to Chevrolet, Obviously, they have that capability, but you haven't really seen it happen in the past. Ford, you know, they just got Haley in the offseason, but before that, they hadn't really had a development driver for their NASCAR ranks. But coming into Toyota, you knew that they had the infrastructure to make it happen. They had the talent that you had seen in the past to make it happen. And there's a distinct path that you can see, whether it's late models to Arca to trucks, Xfinity and Cup, like... I know we're talking down the road here, but there's like a distinct path that you can see yourself going down because Toyota's done it before and there's no reason to think that they can't do it again. Right. Yeah. So um, Toyota Race Development has done a lot to get females and even diversity minorities into the sport. And so um, it's become more of a norm, but it isn't really a norm right now. So, you know, They've been working really hard, even with the NASCAR Drive for Diversity program. They've been working really hard. NASCAR's been working really hard to make that a norm. So that's another one of, you know, my goals that I'd like to see one day is, you know, it being a norm in racing, you know, uh, Danica Patrick and even like Haley Deegan now and me and Holly and some other girls that are coming up the rakes, we're, we're, we're kind of just paving the way for that to happen. So being a part of the Toyota program, um, They've, they've been really good at doing that and, you know, doing it the right way as they possibly can. So, um, you know, having that there and just showing, you know, another piece of advice, winning those races and, you know, Haley out there winning races. And now that I want to race, it can just show that other girls that are coming up and racing that they can also do it too. Oh yeah, of course I can. Yeah. So I think I read on your website that, one of the female race car drivers that you looked up to growing up was Danica Patrick. Was there any other specific um, female racer, whether it was a local driver in a late model or somebody in a different discipline that you looked up to and really said, you know, I want to be the next so-and-so, or are you really more so like paving your own path and you just want to be your own person? I was kind of just paving my own path. I said, the people who do ask me if I'm the next Danica Patrick, I say, I'll, I'll be better. But the main drivers I did look up to was uh, Tony Stewart and AJ Foyt. Those those were definitely my my two favorite drivers, and those two guys are are very much alike too. But also, I think I really liked them because my dad my dad was huge fans of them too. Yeah, but yeah. I actually used to sleep with the Home Depot Tony Stewart pillow every night when I was nice. growing up. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. So those are the, the two guys I looked um looked up to growing up. I just you know, I liked orange. Orange was my favorite color. They're both orange race cars. And I just like their driving style, the you know, the way you could just tell they loved racing so much, their passion. Oh, yeah on tv watching them you could just tell how much passion they had for the sport and they were aggressive drivers so um i just i just liked every aspect of them watching them race when i was growing up have you gotten the chance to meet either one of them yet no well actually i met aj foy i i actually was in texas a few years ago um and me and my dad went to a shop and he was there and my dad actually grew up working out of aj Foyt's shop aj used to let my dad keep his uh go-kart at his shop no way so, well my dad my dad grew up knowing aj that's crazy that's yeah. amazing yeah so all of our stuff we have aj Foyt stickers on our b posts and we keep aj stuff everywhere my bandolero was an aj Foyt car um, paint scheme and so was the late model we have was the AJ Foyt paint scheme so um, I thought it was a funny coincidence getting to run the Enios car this year because it was also orange so yeah um, orange is my favorite color so <laughs> that's amazing wow so your dad literally was like had that connection with AJ Foyt from the beginning that's amazing yeah. yes he did does he have a have a relationship with him still or have they kind of drifted a little bit they kind of drift a little bit just him being here doing his own thing and AJ's um been sick a little bit in the hospital yeah. some so um he's just doing the best he can in Texas right now yeah. so he has his little ranch out there and stuff um and doing good at his race shop cool well we wish the best to AJ uh I got a couple more for you and I'll let you run I, I thank you for your time this has been awesome so yeah. uh no real way to transition here but I see that you have some fake social media accounts now does that mean that you've like officially made it in life I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> I think yes. To get rid of them. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to do with those. I've never had those before, but yeah. I think it's the same guy or something. Just keep making new ones. Like I thought you're supposed to like have an email and you can't make so many accounts with one email or something. <laughs> so this dude like must be wasting so much time making new emails oh accounts God. every day. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know who has the time to do that, but. Now it's moving on to Twitter, Twitter and Instagram. First it was just Instagram. Now it's Twitter too. So yeah, I saw that. I don't know. Everybody out there, if you see one, please report it. It's not me. I have reported them because I've asked you in the past. You're like, yep, not me. I'm like, that's what I thought. I do think it means that you've yeah. somewhat officially made it though, because in a way it's really annoying, but in a way it's like, yeah. all right, this person's famous enough, well-known enough, successful enough for me to try to copy them and do something about them. So in a way, it could be flattering, but at the same time, I, if I had fake accounts made of me, I'd be like, get the you-know-what at it. Like, stop with yeah. this. Come on. Is yeah. there a better way to spend your time, random person? Please, come on. I know, exactly. <laughs> I also know that you like to spend some time at the gym, as you mentioned, the Toyota Performance Center. Is that what it's called, TPC? Yes. Cool. Um, and also, you do some community activities here and there. Tell me a little bit more about what you do, like, outside of racing, outside of the racetrack, besides lift weights, play with your dog, work on the car. What does Gracie Trotter do? So now it's off season and during the pandemic too, when I wasn't racing, I've been working um, at a gun shop. So it's actually my, my uh, dad's friend. And so I uh, assemble BCGs for gun bolt carrier groups. 
So they actually go over to Calico first, which the two shops are like kind of right next to each other. So they get the bolt carrier groups get coded over at Calico. And then I go pick them up and I'm one of the people who assemble the BCGs that go into AR guns and stuff like that. So, um, and I also give my dad crap all the time because, uh, his friend paid me more than he did when I worked at Calico. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, 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 uh, try to make some money and work for him and work out at the gym and, you know, nap when I can. So this off season, I've been getting some more sleep. So <laughs> been working, been working and working out at the gym. Cool. Uh, Harrison, I'm, I'm sure you see him at the, at the Toyota performance center. Do you guys ever reminisce about that story when you were the trophy girl and he won that night at Concord? Honestly, I probably a couple years ago when we first started at TPC, we were looking back at those pictures, but I don't think he remembers much of it. I don't remember much of it. When I look back at the picture, like I, I start remembering, you know, yeah. some, of it, but, but yeah, we, uh, me, Harrison, Christian, and Christopher Bell were the OGs over there at the <laughs> TPC gym because back when uh, TPC started, we were working out of a storage unit. Wow! So we had the storage unit with a couple of air bikes in there and and a bar in there. So we didn't have we didn't have much in there. So it was just us working out in the storage unit with our trainer. <laughs> Have you rode like the famous, uh, I forget who built it, whether it was Max McLaughlin or like, I think Todd Gillen took it for a ride, the toilet thing. The go fart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you rode yeah. that thing? No, but I was there that day when he brought it over. I'm, like I said, I'm too short to reach the pedals, but. Um, really? And also I was like, that thing looks way too sketchy. So I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to get on it anyways. I just sat back and watched. But that the thing. The name is like, sketchy. Oh yeah. I mean, when he, when Todd Gillen got on it, I thought he was going to crash bust his head open. Like the thing, <laughs> the wheels on it, I don't know where he got them from, but the wheels on it for, were like from a go-kart from like 50 years ago. Like oh, the wheels were old and I was like, those things are going to fall off. But yikes. Yeah. I, I just watched that day. <laughs> okay. Probably for the best, I would say. It goes fast though. That thing would probably reach forty-five miles per hour down the down the road stretch that we were on. <laughs> there were some fast farts, I must say. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I saw that you got your team some Whataburger out in Phoenix. Are you team Whataburger or are you team In and Out? Whataburger. Oh yeah. Okay, I I've never that. had it. I've had In and Out, and I like it. But so I'm from DC, right? Like. The reason I get in and out is because when I'm on the West Coast, it's like an experience because we have none over here. And it's like, okay, it's fine. Like, I'll have it a couple times a year. It's not the best thing I've ever had. It's not the worst. I've yet to have Whataburger. And my buddy who lives in Texas for a little bit told me that the honey butter chicken biscuit is the best thing you will ever eat in your life. Oh, it is. I okay. even have a shirt that says honey butter and chicken biscuit. I'll post That's it on legit. Twitter. I'll post it on Twitter in a couple of days. But I have that. And, um, also my dad's friend literally two days ago, uh, gave me a suitcase he had made. That's a Whataburger suitcase. And it's from, I haven't seen it all. My dad sent me like half a picture of it, but yeah. it says what a night Gracie Trotter. And I think it has something else on it, but I'm going to go over and pick it up today at my dad's house. So it's some type of pillowcase with Whataburger on it that wow. has my name. So I don't know. I'll have to see, and I'll let you know, I'll let you know. I'll send you a picture. 
So, so you're I, team I Whataburger love- all the way. Oh yeah, and also my aunt sent me. She lives in Texas, so that's where all the Whataburger is. She sent me yep. a a thing. She's like, "This is so you," and it was Whataburger Christmas pajamas. And I went to order them, but they're out in my size, so I'm waiting for them to be in my size. And I'm ordering. You need them. you need a pair of those, and you need like a Whataburger ugly Christmas sweater. Yes, yes. Wow, that's I'm legit. So, I, I love Whataburger honey butter chicken biscuits. They're to die for. All right, I, I'm starving now. So I have a couple more, and then I'm going to go make myself some food that's going to resemble a honey butter chicken biscuit because I want it so bad now. Um, so, Gracie, give me your, like, give me your, like, five-year plan. Five years from now when it's 2025, that's crazy to say. Like, where do you want to be? What do you want to be doing? I, I, I would assume that a driver like you and your caliber has some aspirations to move up the ranks and partic- participate in the Cup Series. But then again, everybody has their own timeline of events, how they want to see happen and what they want to do. So even if you haven't really thought about it, maybe think about it now. Like, what's your five-year plan? What do you want to be doing? Probably a few, a couple, a few more years in the ARCA stuff. Um, just to learn, just to learn more, learn more of the fundamentals. And um, greatly, it's, you know, sticking with Toyota and hoping, you know, they've, they've been helping me pave my way and, and doing this stuff. So I couldn't do it without them. Um, so just figuring out what they think I should do, you know, but, um, a couple, few more years in the, in the ARCA stuff, I'd say, and maybe start, you know, throwing in some truck races here and there just to get, get some experience in that. And hopefully mm-hmm. in about four years, five years, um, do some, uh, full seasons in the truck. So that's kind of my ideal plan right now that I have. Yeah. Makes sense. Next year specifically, 2021, this year was crazy in every sense of the word and nobody knew what was going to happen tomorrow or next week. Hopefully next year we'll have a little bit more of a grip on what the deal is going to be week to week. Do you have any idea on what your plans are going to be for next year? Is anything concrete, signed, sealed, and delivered yet? Not yet. Not yet. I should know soon. Um, Everything's kind of thrown back right now. Everything's kind of delayed because of COVID, um, trying to figure things out, but just kind of waiting on a call from Toyota. I know we'll probably be doing a lot of late model stuff next year, um, with my late model stock. So, Mm -hmm. um, that'll be in there and, um, just waiting on a phone call right now. (laughs) Yeah. Aren't we all, (laughs) I feel you on that. Well, this has been super fun. We've been talking for almost an hour. So I, I thank you so much for your time. I know oh, that yeah. it's not it's not easy to carve this out. But um, if, if anything, we've learned that next time we're able to see each other in person at the track, um, I think you're buying me some Whataburger so I can try that for the first time. Of course, I will. <laughs> Perfect. This has been a successful interview then. This has been <laughs> awesome though. Gracie, thanks so much. Appreciate all the time, your honesty, your stories. It was It was really fun to catch up and learn a little bit more about you. And I hope all the listeners did as well. So thank you very much. And we'll see you soon. Have a great rest of your off season. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that conversation, everybody. I don't know about you. I I really want a honey butter chicken biscuit now or literally anything. Because as I said, I've never had Whataburger. But God, that that makes my mouth water and I really want one. And I'm on a diet now too. I'm on Whole30, which basically you can't have any dairy, any uh, sugar, bread. It's brutal. It's not that bad actually, but now I really want Whataburger. Anyways, lug nuts of the week. 
Cue that funky music, white boy. Chandler Smith is going to run full-time for Kyle Busch Motorsports in 2021. Safe Flight Auto Glass will be the primary sponsor for 15 races. A very highly touted prospect. Ran a handful of truck races last year as well as ARCA. Now going full-time for KBM. That means that Christian Eckes will not return to KBM next year, but is excited about the future. Some announcements coming in the near future for him. Rumors that he may be going to a team that has a stranglehold on the truck series field already. GMS is full. That's all I'm going to say. We'll see what happens with Christian Eckes. Brett Moffitt is going to run full-time for Nice Motorsports, who has a stranglehold on the series. That's all I'll say there. Now he's going to be running full-time in two series because he's also running for our motorsports in Xfinity, but he's going to declare for truck points, so he's running for a truck championship once again. AJ Allmendinger is going to run a full-time schedule for Colleg Racing, which means they will have three full-time cars, Jeb Burton, AJ Allmendinger, and Justin Haley. So we'll see if they can go a little bit more trophy hunting and get a car in victory lane and as a champion. The Daytona 500 will have limited capacity for fans, this upcoming February, they did not specify the amount of fans that they would allow, but is it is for sure the right move, considering COVID-19 keeps on raging. Ty Majeski won the prestigious 53rd Snowball Derby in Pensacola, Florida at Five Flags Speedway this past weekend. It's his first Snowball Derby win. Outlasted Derek Thorne, who came home in second. Really exciting finish for those two drivers. Chase Elliott, reigning Cup Series champ, finishing third. There were couple more NASCAR drivers finishing the top 10. Grant Enfinger, Kyle Busch to name a couple of them. Check out the results on ShortTrackScene.com or Speed 51. Bristol is going to host the Dirt Nationals as a bit of a precursor to their NASCAR weekend on dirt this upcoming spring. Josh Williams was named the third quarter Pocono Spirit Award winner by the NMPA. That's a really cool honor. Uh, obviously drove the number 92 Chevrolet this past season for DGM Racing. And he's been doing hospital tours, benefiting really ill children, and he's been doing that regularly since 2016. So good to see a little bit of a lesser-known driver get recognized for his efforts. Congratulations to Josh Williams. The 20-race ARCA schedule was announced. Some highlights include a return to the Milwaukee Mile. How about that? Also, the lone NASCAR stock car event at Iowa Speedway next year. ARCA's going there. There's going to be 11 companion races with the National Series and 19 venues for the 20 races. Kansas is going to be on the schedule twice, being the finale. And some news that actually just broke. KBM released their crew chief lineup. Eric Phillips is going to be the on top of the box for John Hunter Nemechek. Danny Stockman for Chandler Smith. And Marty Lindley for the 51 truck of Kyle Busch and the revolving door of drivers. I'm very high on Marty Lindley. They lost Rudy Fugel in the offseason to Hendrick. I think that is a very, very important addition for KBM as they try to rebuild their future. And Jesse Love's going to be piloting the 78 Chevrolet for BJ McLeod Motorsports full-time in the Xfinity Series. So good on Jesse for getting a ride for next year full-time. Congratulations to him and all the other drivers who have their 2021 plans coming into focus. That'll wrap things up for Episode 85 of Victory Lane 2.0 this week. If you like what you heard, do me a favor, leave a rating and a review for this show on iTunes and mention Reggaeton, and you may get that free three-month subscription to the Motor Trend app. Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast, we should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, drop me a line. I'll try to rectify that issue for you. Next week, I think we have somebody special coming on the show. 
Maybe it's Chick Hicks. Maybe it's a Fox broadcaster who's breaking barriers. Maybe it's both. Stay tuned, people. I'll talk to you next week.